Good morning, church. Good to have everybody here today. The scripture for call to worship comes from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. church family. My name, is, my name is Josh Ingen, serve as pastor here. Um, during this time, we're just going to take a moment of silence before the Lord as we know life can get crazy busy and we just need a time to reflect on who God is 
as we just sung about how great God is and how he has saved us through Jesus' blood, that he has uh, redeemed us. We are brought into his family. Uh, God is so wonderful. He is awesome. He is worthy of awe and worship. So let's just take a moment as a, as a family to be silent before the Lord and, and pray and worship him in this moment. today. We need you every day. We need you every hour. God, we thank you so much for revealing yourself to us in your word, that you are gracious. You are slow to anger. Your steadfast love is to all generations. God, we thank you and we worship you today. Thank you so much for allowing us to come together as your church, as your, the family that you adopted us into. God, continue to bless this service. God, be with uh, Christy, as she comes up to give her testimony, give her uh, the words to say and the boldness to speak your truth and to share what you have done in her life. God, we thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My name is Christy Stepnowski. I am the children's minister director here at Union Chapel Baptist Church. Um, when Pastor Josh asked me to share my testimony, I immediately texted him back and told him that my testimony is not that impressive. He responded with, with ugh, sorry, he responded with scripture from 2 Timothy 1.8, which says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. It made me realize that every testimony of God saving someone is an impressive story. So here's what God has done for me. Growing up, my family was not what I call very religious. My brother and I used to come to church here at Union Chapel with Nanny and Grande, some of you know as Sam and Annie Lee. Um, we went to church most Sundays, and at some point in my early childhood, I remember hearing about Jesus and how he died for our sins. I remember praying that night for God to save me of my sins. I don't really remember how old I was or anything like that, I just remember that was the first day I started praying nightly to God. <clears throat> As I got older, I stopped going to church because I had to work on Sundays. I still prayed daily, I just didn't go to church. Life went on and I made my share of mistakes. I met John, my husband now, at work and we started dating. We only dated for a few months before we decided to get married. I knew I wanted to get married in a church and my brother and his family were going to a church in Clayton at the time so we tagged along with them. We attended the church with them for a couple of weeks, and we decided to ask the pastor there to marry us. He agreed as long as we went to marriage counseling, so we did. And John and I were not super religious, but we both believed in God, and we thought that was all we needed. We had three wonderful kids over the years. We had our ups and downs like most people. Then on November 14th, 2016, I was supposed to meet my brother at Guardian Care here in Zebulon after work so we could see Nanny together. I ended up calling my brother on the way home and asked if we could reschedule our visit until the following day because I was really exhausted from work. He agreed, so I went home to John and the kids and I hadn't been home very long when my parents called me and told me that Nanny had passed away. I was really upset and mad. I kissed John and the kids and rushed out the door and headed to Guardian Care. I got there and I hugged my parents and my brother and it was a long afternoon, I remember. And at some point, I just needed a break. So I went and sat in my truck, and I was crying my eyes out, and I was mad for not being there for her when she passed. I was feeling guilty and all other kinds of emotions, and I prayed really hard that God and Nanny would forgive me for not being there. And after sitting in my truck and bawling for quite a while, 
I heard this voice tell me that I needed to come back to this church where it all started. So after the funeral, I started coming back to church, and I brought the kids every Sunday while John was working overnights. And in September of 2017, Sam and Peyton accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. While we were talking to Pastor Jason Wilkerson at the time about the girls' confession of faith and their next steps in baptism, I realized that I was never baptized, and I wanted to follow the Lord in this too. So on September the 3rd of 2017, the girls and I were all baptized. And in the summer of 2018, I was asked to help out with VBS. And I was really nervous because I was still fairly new to teaching the Word of God. I prayed for guidance and stepped out in faith and taught a class for the very first time. Then I started out helping with Sunday school as the assistant. And then right before COVID hit, I started teaching my own class. I've continued teaching the kids during Sunday school and on Wednesday nights. And I've been with the children's ministry director about three years now. I love working with the kids and watching them grow in their own faith with Jesus. I'm thankful for my grandparents who brought me to church and for everyone who taught me about Jesus and how he died for my sins. I praise God that he is patient with us even though we may stray away. He is there with open arms to welcome us back. God has transformed my life and he can transform yours too. Now if you would all join me in a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for your unending love. Thank you for giving us of our sins. Help us to trust in each, trust you each and every day. Help us follow in obedience and step out in faith for what you have called us to do. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Christy.
right, so we're going to have a time for our kids' corner. So if you're a kid, come up here and we'll read this book. This go ties in with the sermon today. This is called Quinn's Promise Rock. So I got my kids at home today, so we're going to face this way. So if y'all can sit on this side, and I'll show you the pictures. Yeah, you can sit right there. That'll be good. All right, this is Quinn's Promise Rock. One night, Quinn and her father went flying together. As they soared through the forest, searching for some dinner, Quinn had a sudden scary thought. I missed the first page. That's okay. You'll get it from the context. <laughs> Daddy, she asked. Yes, my little owl? What if I get lost? What if you dive and I don't notice? What if you get too far ahead of me and I can't find you? You fly so quietly. What if... Quinn... Quinn's father was smiling. He turned away slowly and started flying toward a mountain. Quinn followed him. Why wasn't her father saying anything? Quinn flapped her wings harder as they flew up, up and up, as she started to breathe heavier. Where were they going? Her father circled around a huge stone on top of the mountain and then perched on it. Quinn landed and puffed hard as she tried to catch her breath. Daddy, she panted, why did we come up way up here? Her father lifted his wing and pointed toward the forest far below. Do you see that tree way down there? He asked. Quinn nodded. Do you recognize it? Quinn's bright owl eyes looked keenly at the tree, and then she blurted, that's our tree. That's where our nest is. Her father nodded and said, this mountain will always be here. It never moves. It will always show you the way to get home. Quinn, God is like this Rocky Mountain. God is always here. He never changes, and he will never leave. He will show you the way you should go. Quinn nodded thoughtfully. Suddenly she, suddenly, she felt a drop on her beak, and suddenly another drop on her head. Her father spread his wings and started flying back down the mountain. Quinn followed. The rain started to come down faster, and the wind came in gusts. It pushed Quinn's little owl body this way and that she became frightened. Cold water poured off her feathers, and she could barely see her father through the raindrops. Her father showed, slowed down and then landed inside a tiny cave on the side of the mountain. Quinn landed beside him and shook the water off her feathers. Her father lifted a wing, and Quinn snuggled underneath it to warm up. As the storm roared on, her father hugged her close and said, This cave is a safe place. It protects us from the wind and the rain. Quinn, God is like this rocky cave. God can protect you during the scariest times in life. When you feel afraid, he is right there, just like this cave, and you can take shelter in him. Eventually, the storm stopped and the sky cleared. The stars came out, and Quinn and her father started off again under the shining moon. They flew silently through the night, sometimes swooping down to eat, but mostly just flying side by side. Just as Quinn was starting to get quite tired, her father dove toward the ground and landed right on the forest floor. Quinn landed beside him and looked up at him with wide, wondering eyes. Quinn's father picked up a little rock with his talon and gave it to her. Then he looked into Quinn's eyes and said, If you tuck this rock into your feathers, you can carry it everywhere you go. You will feel, feel it hard against your body. Quinn, God is like this tiny rock. Even though he is big like a mountain and safe like a cave, you can also carry him everywhere you go because God is always with you. Quinn's eyes grew even bigger. So if I get lost or scared, I can feel my little rock and remember that God is with me. That's right, my thoughtful little owl. God will show you the way you should go. He will, he will be a safe place, and he will always be with you. The sun began to rise, and Quinn tucked the little rock into a safe place in her feathers. As she and her father flew home, she could hardly wait to tell her mama about this strange and wonderful night. Best of all, she would show her the little promise rock. The end. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you are with us, 
and that you can protect us, that you hear our prayers, and that you are faithful to your promises. God, we, we can trust you with our lives. God, be with me as I preach your word, that you would give me the words to say, and that people would listen, and that they would, uh, by your spirit, be changed in their heart to follow you. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Good job. in Genesis 47 today verses 28 going through chapter 48 21 and the title of today's message is faithful promises faithful promises if you've ever lived any amount of time you've had someone promise you something tell you something to do that they were going to do and I'm sure you've experienced someone not coming through on that promise right and then on the flip side is You've probably told someone that you were going to do something. You may have even promised, said, I promise I'll do it. And you probably didn't come through on something. You probably made a mistake. Um, for example, you know, growing up, um, I would tell my mom, I won't be mean to my little brother anymore. I won't hurt my little brother. I promise. I promise. But, you know, little kids, takes time learning. I was still mean to my brother. Uh, in marriage, I tell my wife, I'll pick up my clothes off the floor. <laughs> Two days later, they're still there. <laughs> those are kind of funny, but it gets more serious, right? Remember in the Old Testament, God gives the commands to the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. And they get the commands, the commandments, and what do they say? It says this in Exodus 24, verse 7. He says, He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. But what happened? They don't. Uh, just a couple days later, Moses is on the mountain receiving more instructions, and they make a false idol. They make a golden calf. And that's just not the first instance or the last. That's not the, first, the last instance of this happening. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel will disobey time and time again, generation after generation. And we do the same thing. We may say things like, God, I will never do that again. I will never lose my temper. I will never look at someone lustfully again. I will never have hate in my heart. Now, by God's grace and the power of Jesus' death, if you're a Christian here today, we can fulfill more of these promises. We can be freed from sin, uh, be freed from our slavery to sin, but we still fall short. And the good news that we're going to look at today is that though people are unfaithful, though people are unfaithful to their promises to us, and we are unfaithful to our promises to them, God is always faithful. He never breaks a promise, and He is our Creator, He's our Savior, and we can trust in Him. And so we'll have three main sections today. First, we'll see the eternal promised land. It's kind of been a repeated theme in the book of Genesis. As we're wrapping up, we're I only have two more Sundays, and then we'll, we'll be done with the book of Genesis. But we'll look at the eternal promised land. Number two, memories of hope. And then number three, undeserved blessings. So let's look first how we, we point, it points to the eternal promised land. In Genesis 47, verse 28. Now Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, and his lifespan was 147 years. When the time approached for him to die... He called his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor with you, put your hand under my thigh and promise me that you will deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I rest with my ancestors, carry me away from Egypt and bury me in their burial place. So I want to look at this promise, look at four parts of this promise. First, I want to see the way of the promise. How is this promise laid out. Second, we'll look at the content of the promise. Third, the basis of the promise. And then lastly, the significance. Why make this promise? Why is this significant? Look first at the way of the promise. Look back in verse 29. And honestly, it's kind of awkward in today's times. 
He says, put your hand under my thigh and promise me that you will deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Why does he do this? We talked about this in Genesis 24 with Abraham and his servant. He made this same kind of promise. And then, back then, we looked at how this may have been a common practice in the ancient Near East during this time. And so, um, instead of shaking hands or signing an agreement, they could have said, hey, this is a serious promise. This is a symbol of that. Um, that's a possibility. Um, I think the best way, really, to understand the way of the promise is to look at the content of the promise. So look at the end of verse 29, the content of the promise. What does he want Joseph to do? He says, don't bury me in Egypt when I rest with my ancestors. Carry me away from Egypt and bury me in their burial place. So Jacob is asking Joseph to promise and that he would be buried in the promised land with his ancestors. And so I think we have the, the promise that Abraham makes in Genesis 24. If you remember that story, he was telling his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And he says, it has to be amongst my family. So he was really concerned about the family line staying pure. And so it, it, both promises, I think, point to the importance of this family line. Because here, and in, in Jacob is worried about being buried with his family. Again, pointing to that, the importance of uh, that family line. Um, also, we can understand the way of the promise under the thigh likely invokes the place of procreation, the place of circumcision as a covenant sign for Abraham's family. And ultimately, both of these promises are about God's family and God's faithfulness to take care of this family. And so all these things are going to be wrapped up in what's going on here. And so what is the basis of this promise? Number three, what is the basis of this promise? In verse 29, he says, promise me that you will deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. This word here for kindness is hesed, which speaks of jo Joseph's loyalty to his father. The word was also used four times in Genesis 24. Again, another connection back to Abraham's promise. It was all dependent on the faithfulness of God to make those things come to pass. And so these two words, kindness and faithfulness, show that Jacob is fully dependent on others. There's nothing that he could do to make this happen, right? Because he would be dead and gone. There's nothing that he can do to make it happen. He's fully dependent on their faithfulness to him, their loyalty and kindness to him. And this is really like our dependence on God. We are totally dependent on his kindness and his faithfulness to his promises. Because we cannot force God to keep his promises, right? What are we going to do? Twist his arm, right? We can't do that. God is faithful to his promise. We are totally dependent on him. There's nothing that we can do. We are totally dependent on him. And throughout the Old Testament, it speaks of God's loving kindness, his loving faithfulness, his loyalty towards his people. This is maybe the most famous passage, Exodus 34, verse 6. It says, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. So we have a God who is faithful to these promises. He is forgiving. He is loving. So let us trust in him in all things. Let us depend in him in all things. And so at the end of the day, what is the significance of this promise that Jacob makes? Why does Jacob care where he is buried He'll be dead, right? He's no, he's no longer here. So like we mentioned two weeks ago when we looked at the symbolism of the promised land and burial, the physical promised land looks forward to the eternal promised land. That's why he cares. He wants to communicate this to generations beyond him. He's saying, bury me in the promised land. Bury me to my ancestors because it will point to the eternal promised land where we're going. And we see the, here the importance of being buried with his family. We see that Christianity also is not an individualistic religion. Right? He wants to be buried with his family. You may have heard this phrase before. Um, if you can't get along with God's people here on earth, don't be surprised when you are with them in heaven. Right? If, because Jacob's looking forward to the day when he will be with God's people in heaven. And in this symbolism of being buried in the promised land, being buried with his family, it got me thinking on, you know, our church cemetery and where that tradition came from and why Christians from the earliest time 
would spend so much money and importance on where they're buried. And really, even until this week, I never even really thought about that, the significance and symbolism of that. And here's the symbolism, is once you're buried with your church family, it, you're proclaiming that you're going to be with them again in heaven. It's, it's saying we are a family here on earth, and we are looking forward to being with our, our family, our spiritual family, again in the new heavens and new earth, the eternal promised land. And I think over time, much of this symbolism gets lost, and we do things just for the sake of tradition. We would just say, yeah, this is what my grandparents always did, this is what we did, but that we don't see the significance of the burial service, the, the burial place, and all these things. We just do it because of tradition. And so we must not lose the truths behind many things that we do. We came together and sing today. Why do we do that? It's not just because of a tradition that's good, you know, that someone came up with 100 years ago. The scriptures command us to meet together and sing to one another and sing to the Lord. Why do we preach God's word? Because the, that's what the God's word tells us to do, is to teach the word of God. So we must remember the symbolism and the meaning behind the things we do, not just leave it to tradition. We're missing out on a lot of richness in these things. And as Jacob is looking forward to this eternal promised land, we cannot forget that promise to us is promises also for us to have, who have faith in Jesus. We, this is not our final home. We have an eternal promised land we're going. We must not forget that. And this promise is trustworthy. God is faithful, right? So we can stake our lives on this promise. You can do everything in your life for God and his glory because he is faithful. He will keep his promises. And Joseph will promise to make sure Jacob's bones make it back to the promised land. In verse 30, he says, I will do what you've asked. And Jacob said, swear to me. So Joseph swore to him. Then Israel bowed in thanks at the head of his bed. And this came true. Joseph was true to his word. We see this being fulfilled in Genesis 50, verse 12. So Jacob's sons did for him what he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave at Mechelah in the field near Mamre, which Abraham had purchased as his burial property from Ephron the Hittite. So overall, we've seen the symbolism of burial. We've seen the importance of our spiritual family being with them in heaven again. We've seen God's faithfulness and Joseph's faithfulness. So what, is, what do we need to do? What is the application here? I've kind of already mentioned this, but we just need to remember, we need to trust in God's faithfulness. It's a simple yet profound truth that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds. We also, when we're trusting in God's faithfulness, we can imitate his faithfulness, imitate Joseph's faithfulness. We should be kind and be loyal to others. Be kind and loyal to our families. Keep your promises because we serve a God and follow a God who keeps his promises, right? In your friendships, keep your word. Be honest. Be someone who people can depend on. In every area of your life, in parenting, keep your promises to your kids. I know the temptation, at least for me, is to say, yeah, we'll do that, and then hopefully they forget about it, right? But we need to be honest and say, don't say things we don't mean with our kids. And kids, you need to be faithful and respectful also to your parents. Be loyal to them. And then finally, in your marriage, be faithful to your spouse. Keep those covenant vows that you declared, right, through sickness and in health, poverty and wealth. Until death do you part. Keep those promises that you've made. Be loyal to them. Because we serve a God who's faithful and loyal to his promises. We want to imitate as we turn to our second section here, memories of hope. Look in Genesis 48, verse 1. Sometime after this, Joseph was told, Your father is weaker, so he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. So here's the scene. Uh, Jacob is nearing the end. He can barely sit up in bed. And Joseph brings him his two sons, likely to receive a blessing and say, that, say their goodbyes to their grandfather. So that's the scene we're about to, to see what happens. And in this moment, Jacob will recount one of the most important events in his life when he encountered God. Look at verse 3. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. 
He said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make many nations come from you. I will give this land as a permanent possession to your future descendants. So Jacob is recounting his experience and encounter with God in Genesis 28. You remember the stairway to heaven. And so this had a marked uh, moment in his life. This was a changing point in Jacob's life. And at the end of his life, he is looking back on this moment, and he is recounting it to his son and to his grandsons. He is sharing his memory of hope. Though he is on his deathbed, likely feeling pains of weakness, the pains of death, he remembers the God of life. He remembers God Almighty. And so when you're sick, when you are on your deathbed, remember God's presence in your life. Remember when Jesus, when you accepted Jesus as your Savior. Remember when Jesus became your Lord. This is what you hold on to. This is what you share with your kids and grandkids. You share your encounters with God. These are the kind of memories that will help you get through difficult situations. This is the kind of memories that can inspire people, that can give people a hope, that can give people, it's a, really a, your testimony, that can, people can trust in Jesus, the same Jesus you trusted in. Now, I've heard stories of people, as they get older, they lose their memories, right? And they can't even sometimes remember their kids' names, but they can remember a hymn, right? They can remember nothing but the blood of Jesus, they can remember John 3.16 because it is, has changed them. It is they, Those truths will always be with them. And so after Jacob reminds Joseph of this, he claims Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as his own son, as we look into our third section, undeserved blessings. In verse 5 says, your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Kind of a weird thing to do. We'll explain what's going on. Ephraim and Manasseh belong to me just as Reuben and Simeon do. So what is meant by this? Why does he do this? It seems that Jacob is trying to give a final blessing to Joseph. And if you're in Jacob's spot and you want to bless your son Joseph, what could you give him that he doesn't already have? Right, Joseph is in second in command of Egypt. What can he bless him with? Well, I think this is what he came up with. Jacob can elevate Joseph, his son, actually to be his equal. I think that's what's going on here. One commentator smarter than myself puts it this way. He says, by making Joseph's sons Jacob's sons, Jacob is in effect elevating Joseph to the level of himself. That is, both men are now ancestral fathers of the tribes of Israel that will comfort them. So he basically, by elevating his sons to his gener you know, to his sons, he basically raised Joseph up a generation. So uh, in addition to the blessing to Joseph, he also reminds, uh, this also reminds Jacob of Joseph's mother, Rachel. As he's giving this blessing to him, he might, this blessing might be in honor of Rachel as well because Jacob remembers his wife Rachel and says this in verse 7 it says when I was returning from Padan to my sorrow Rachel died along the way some distance from Ephrath in the land of Canaan I buried her there along the way to Ephrath that is Bethlehem so basically you, you, the, the logic is if, if he's giving this blessing to Joseph and his sons why does he mention Rachel here well because Rachel was Joseph's mother, and he wanted to give honor to her by blessing her grandchildren. And he also knows, remember, he's on his deathbed. He probably is thinking about being with her again in the eternal promised land. And so while death of a loved one is difficult, painful, sometimes unexplainable anguish, we must remember that death is not the end. But for the believer, those who trust in Jesus, death is the doorway to eternal life. You will be with your loved one again. Now Jacob will bless his two sons, but in his old age, his eyesight is not so good, and he can't recognize Ephraim and Manasseh, 
This sounds a lot like what happened with Isaac, right? I, Jake, uh, Jacob's father Isaac's eyesight was bad. He was getting older. And that's when Jacob, you know, stole the birthright, stole the blessing instead of his older brother Esau. And so the question kind of looming is, will the same thing happen again? Will there be a switch between the older and younger? And in some ways, yes, but a little bit different. Let's read about it in verse 8. It says, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons, gods have given me. So Israel said, bring them to me, I will bless them. Now his eyesight was poor because of old age, he could barely see. Joseph brought them to him, and he kissed and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, but now God has even let me see your offspring. Then Joseph took them from his father's knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Then, jo then Joseph took them both with his right hand, Ephraim, uh, towards Israel's left. So jo uh, Joseph is planning the birth order here, planning the blessing out. Ephraim is going to be the younger. He will be on the left to get the lesser blessing. And then with his left hand, Manasseh towards Israel's right. So Manasseh being the older, going to be on Israel's right hand. And so Ephraim on the left, Manasseh the older on the right to receive the better blessing. Um, this is kind of, we can't kind of even use this language today of right and left, of right being the better. Like you're the right hand man is like kind of the better position to be in. Uh, we see this in the New Testament when it talks about Jesus being exalted to the right hand of God. So there's that symbolism of the right being kind of the higher, better blessing. And what we'll see here is even though Jacob can't physically see, he kind of can see spiritually, we could say. He will continue the theme of blessing and giving more honor to the younger rather than the older, which is not typically done, which is how the world doesn't typically operate. It's kind of turning those things upside down. The normal thing to do would be bless the older. But look what happens in verse 14. Israel stretched out his right hand and put it on the head of Ephraim. So on the kids' bulletin, we have a little coloring page where Jacob has his hand switched. That's what's going on. He, is, he knows he wants to bless the younger with his right hand. Then he put, uh, crossing his hand, and put his left on Manasseh's head, although Manasseh was the firstborn. So the blessing of the younger, again, emphasizes what, basically at the end of the day, why does he do this? Why is this a repeated thing? The blessing of the younger emphasizes God's gracious blessings on those who don't deserve it. The younger does not deserve it. By any standard, by any standard of the world, he would get the lesser blessing. But God says, no, I want to bless you. You didn't do anything to deserve it, but I'm still going to bless you and have grace on you. And this blessing, this gift, is rooted in God's goodness. Jacob recounts God's goodness again. Verse 15. He said, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. He recognizes that God is his good shepherd. We looked at this two weeks ago as well. God has guided him. He has protected him. Though he experienced pain, though he experienced suffering and loss, God was always there with him, guiding him. And God the shepherd in the Old Testament's finds its fulfillment in Jesus, who is prophesied to come and shepherd his people. Matthew 2.6 says it this way, and it emphasizes the lineage, uh, the family line of Jacob through Judah. He says, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's talking about Jesus. He's come to shepherd his people to lead them to the eternal promised land, to share with them the good news, to die for their sins. And this coming of the Son of God, this coming of the Messiah, Jesus, is hinted at throughout the Old Testament. And you can make an argument that the appearances of the angel of God in Genesis could be a pointer to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Because look in verse 16. Jacob mentions the angel right in the same breath where he just talks about God blessing. He says, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. So again, he in the same breath, Jacob once again refers to God and this angel that he's encountered 
And he declares the angel redeemed him. He delivered him. The angel saved him. This is the very same thing Jesus came to do for his people. Jesus came to deliver us. He came to redeem us from the greatest of all harms, sin. God saved Jacob, so Jacob depends on God to bless his boys, and he prays that they would be unified to God's people. And this is a, a big point here. Look at this in verse 16. He says, May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and may they grow to be numerous within the land. So what is the significance of why would they want him them to be called by his name? What does it matter what their name is? It's symbolizing their identity. It's symbolizing that they're united to God and his people. They're not Egyptians first, but they're God's people first. That is what is meant when he wants them to be called by his name in the name of Abraham and Isaac. We kind of have a tradition like that here nowadays. Um, it's like when a wife takes her husband's last name on herself. She is showing her unity and identifying herself with her husband and her husband's family. I think there's an important application for us today from this passage that we too would, should be identified first to God and his people before any other allegiances or identities. So, for example, you may be most, you might identify or um, place your value or who you are in your job. I know that can, and your job may be great, like, I love my job as a pastor, but it's a temptation to find that job as the most important thing. But my job is not the most important thing about me, right? The most important thing about me is my relationship to God, that I am a Christian. I'm Christian first, job whatever second. Um, you might find another temptation would be for your family. You might be a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa, and that's like, it, that's who you are. That's your first thing when people say, who are you? You think, that's who I am. Instead, your first thing should be, I am a child of God. I am a Christian. I, Jesus has saved me. And then sometimes, you know, our allegiances are to other things. Our first time allegiance may be to our nation. You may, you may think, oh, I'm an American first and a Christian second. But that's not what God wants us to be. We want, he wants us to be a Christian first, American second. And also, remember, we have uh, an allegiance and unity to God's people. We're a Christian serving God first, and then we also serve and are united to God's people, the church. So we need to remember who we are and who our identity is in. Remember whose name you were baptized in when we teach on baptism, the importance of it. You were baptized in whose name? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's your, you're identifying with him. You're saying, I'm uh, first, uh, my allegiance is to God first. And so remember, Jacob is blessing the younger brother with greater honor, and Joseph just realizes this. He says in verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father had placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, he thought it was a mistake and took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's. Joseph said to his father, not that not that way, my father. This one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will be a tribe, and he too will be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his offspring will be become a populous nation. So it's not as if the older isn't blessed too. Really, at the end of the day, not, neither of them deserve this blessing. It is showing God's grace and showing Jacob's blessing on them. And again, what's the point? Why emphasize this? Why is there a whole chapter dedicated and all these details given to the fact that he's blessing the younger? I think John Selhammer says it best. He says, Receiving the blessing that God offers does not rest with one's natural status in the world. Doesn't matter if you're older or if you're younger, rich or poor, where you come from. None of that matters when it's coming to the blessing of God. On the contrary, the blessing of God is based solely on God's grace. God's grace is a gift. You don't deserve it, right? It's given. 
to you. So for us today, what do we do with this? The first thing that came to my head is when we are tempted toward envy, when we are tempted toward jealousy, you see somebody on Facebook or Instagram with that really new, nice new toy they got, the new boat, new camper, new house, whatever, and you're like, mm, I want that, <laughs> right? That, or, and and that, that feeling of envy and jealousy, where does that come from? I think it, sometimes it comes from feeling, I deserve that. Like, I deserve, I look at all the things that I do. I work hard. I don't, you know, all these things. And I deserve more than I have. But we have to remind ourselves, do we really deserve more? No. Anything we do have, anything good, is by the grace of God. It is a blessing. We don't deserve any of it. So it might be hard to remember this when your neighbor has a nice house or a nice car. We must seek to rejoice in their blessing. Thank God for blessing them. It is not all about us. We are just like the younger son, Ephraim. We don't deserve God's blessing. I think everyone here would realize and say, yes, I receive salvation by the grace of God. It's nothing I can do. Zach preached on this in Romans 3 last week. It's not from works, you can't earn it. But I think sometimes we slip into the idea of thinking that we deserve spiritual or material blessings. But spiritual and material blessings are by the grace of God too. And so we should all strive to say this should be our life motto. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, But by the grace of God, by His grace, I am what I am. It's by His grace you are who you are. As we wrap up, look in verse 20. We see, he blessed them that day, putting Ephraim before Manasseh when he said, the nation Israel will invoke blessing by you, saying, my God, make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Israel said to Joseph, look, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. So Jacob has already wanted Joseph to bring his bones back to to uh, the promised land and he makes this kind of prophecy here that Joseph's bones will be brought back to the land as well this actually will happen 400 years later over 400 years later we see this in the book of Joshua verse 24 verse 32 it says Joseph's bones which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt were buried at Shechem and over and over again we see in the book of Genesis it's on God's timing right even though it makes like, man, it's been 500 years since this promise was made. But don't give up. God's true to his promises, even if it's not in the time frame that you would think. And as Jacob has one more blessing for Joseph, he tells them this in verse 22. He says, over and above what I'm giving your brothers, I'm giving you the one mountain slope that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. Now, this verse is whole books written on this verse because there's no record of Jacob having this fight with the Amorites and so the people are speculating what does this mean there's different versions of the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts on the mountain slope could be rendered as Shechem I won't bore you with all the details I've probably read too much about this at the end of the day I think this is a reference to Shechem as we saw a reference in the book of Joshua Shechem was also the city that some of the brothers destroyed out of revenge for the abuse of their sister Dinah back in Genesis 34. So with those two connections of Genesis 34 and Joshua 24, it does seem that it's referencing uh, the city of Shechem. But at the end of the day, this is what I think the point is. Joseph and his descendants were blessed, and they were prophesied to receive a piece of the promised land, which came true as evidenced by J Joseph's bones being buried there. Now, Joseph didn't get to see this fulfilled. He didn't get to go to the promised land in his lifetime. He was looking forward to that day. He trusted in the promises of God. It is his hope. It was his hope. It was the hope of his descendants that they would go to the promised land. And it was ultimately pointing to the eternal hope, the eternal mansion, the eternal promised land. So I'll close with this. People may promise you a lot of things. You see ads, you see commercials on TV, promise you that you'll receive happiness, promise you that if you get this new thing, you'll have fulfillment. Maybe it's a new game, a new car, a new house. 
But those are empty promises. True happiness, true fulfillment is found in God's promises because they are faithful and true. So here's how we're going to respond today. Respond to God's promises. If you've never accepted the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life by trusting in Jesus as your God, as your Savior, as your King, do that today. Follow Jesus in baptism, as we heard in Christie's testimony. Declaring your allegiance and unity to God. Join a truth-preaching local church like this one, where you are loyal to one another as a family. And finally, every day, remember the hope that God has promised us. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that we can trust in you wholeheartedly. That we see example after example of promise made and promise kept. That you have proven yourself good and faithful time and time again to people who are not. To people in the Bible like us where we fall short. Where we stray away. God, we are thankful that you are a God that brings us back. That you are gracious and forgiving. God, help us to live for you. Help us to imitate your forgiveness. Help us to imitate your faithfulness to our friends and family and to our church. God, if there's someone here today that has never accepted your faithful promise of salvation as a gift, that they would accept it and they would live their life sold out for you. God, we pray for those who are not here today that were sick, that you would heal them, they're unable to be here for different reasons that uh, you just be with them and comfort them and let your presence be known to them. God, we praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. seated. <clears throat> a couple updates for our vision 2024. Um, as of right now, we're still going to try to do the worship from around the world this Wednesday. So uh, we, you know, in our worship service, we try to include a mix of modern and traditional elements. We have a whole bunch of different gifts and abilities in our church. And if you are interested in serving on the worship team, or if you know somebody who would like to use their gifts, definitely, uh, Put them in touch with me. We value a variety of worship expressions. We welcome people from a diverse backgrounds, including ethnicity, economic status, life experiences. And so we'll be looking into more of that this Wednesday uh, at 6 p.m. Uh, we also, this Friday, March 8th at 7.30, we're going to be watching Voice of the Martyr, Martyrs. You'll hear updates on Iraq and firsthand stories from three Christians who have paid the price for advancing the gospel in other places 
dominated by Islam. You'll hear these inspiring testimonies of costly faith plus worship from Stephen Curry's chapman. So that's going to be here at Union Chapel at 730. Um, I got another thing, important thing. Next Sunday, we're having a fundraiser luncheon. Last week, we had such a success and it was such a good time. We raised uh, $850 over that because I had somebody give some more money towards that this week. So over $850 was raised for missions at Wakeland Elementary and towards Camp Truett. So we're going to have another fundraiser for missions uh, next Sunday. And we're going to have uh, chicken and dumplings, I call it. Y'all call it chicken pasta. You can call it whatever you want. It's going to be good. Uh, we're going to have sweet potatoes and donations are going towards that. So join us for a good time with that. Um, also, thank f thankful for everyone who baked uh, cookies and brownies and all good stuff for teacher and staff appreciation at Wakeland Elementary. Uh, they really appreciated that, and I appreciate you guys doing that. Um, I feel like I have something else here. I got like three bulletins somewhere. I can't complain if somebody's like, I didn't see that. Well, I lost the bulletin too, so. <clears throat> Deacon's meeting today at 4. Oh, yeah, Sanctity of Life Week. You'll see in that in your bulletin. We'll get more information on this, but just mark your calendar. Um, <coughs> mark your calendar for Saturday, April 27th. Uh, we're going to try to have a prayer walk down at the abortion clinic um, that Saturday from 9 to 11. And if you have trouble walking, there will have shuttles there. And if you want to bring a chair, you can sit down there as well. Um, but we'll have a whole week dedicated to that. We'll be talking more about that as time comes closer. That's in April, April 27th from 9 to 11, that Saturday. Um, and uh, uh, also an important reminder is you can always worship through giving, support, supporting our church, not just through these fundraiser luncheons, uh, but also just through the general budget to help keep the, the air conditioner, heat, and lights on and uh, all the other ministries that we're doing. Uh, there's a giving box in the, in the foyer. Uh, you can give online. You can kind of set up a recurring uh, giving through that uh, at our website, unionchapelbaptist.org slash giving. And I think that's all we have today. Um, Gail's out of town today, and I, and I forgot to, to change her on the, on the list. <coughs> but so I'm going to do, we'll close our time as we pray for sharing, sharing the gospel. This is uh, Ephesians six nineteen through 20. It says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be bold enough to speak about it as I should. So if the Apostle Paul wanted prayers, I think we need prayers too. So let's go to the Lord and pray for this. God, we are so thankful for our salvation. God, help us to renew that fire in our hearts. Give us the boldness to share. Give us the boldness to start that conversation. To ask, hey, can we pray for you? Hey, have do you go to church anywhere? Hey, do you know Jesus? Just to start a relationship so we can share the gospel. God, put people in our path this week, whether at the store, at the gas station, wherever we're at that we'd be looking for opportunities to share your good news. And we want people to come to Christ. We want people to be in your kingdom. We want people to experience salvation and eternal life. God, be with us. Empower us. Empower us as a church to continue proclaiming the gospel every week so people might be saved. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And last announcement. We're having a short children's meeting. Uh, right after the service, we're going to give updates on what we're doing for Easter. And if you would like to know about what you can give and donate towards that and what the dates are for that, uh, we're going to nail that down in the next few minutes. So now that's officially all I have. You're dismissed. <laughs>